Welcome back to the Square One Show, the podcast about the journey. This week, my guest, Mushevitulo, chats to us about the data science space, graduating an MBA, having a growth mindset, overcoming failure, and so much more. Thank you so, so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Shebs, my brother, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy that we're finally doing this. Just to start off, we can just say, give us a little bit intro about you and yeah, what do you do on a daily basis? Okay, cool. Um, thanks for having me, man. Sure, sure. So, a uh, bit about me. My name is Moshe David Tudor. Uh, so, currently in terms of, I guess, career-wise, I'm currently working as a business planning manager at a company called VIU, V-I-U. So essentially about the company, it's a video streaming service and we've got content from, you know, all different kinds of sources, so free-to-air players like SABC, ETV, and we've got also our own original content. So it is essentially a catch-up service for some of the popular SABC content and also some of our original content. And my role there specifically is just analyzing the numbers on a daily basis, tracking performance, seeing how we're doing, and also tracking versus our annual plans. So every year, like every other business, mm. we have an annual plan, targets. So I just track how we're doing against that and come up with recommendations from a data backed um, position to sort of say what's the data saying and what can we, how can we use it to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Now that you're speaking about data, yeah, you reminded me about the day that we were speaking at the Destiny conference. Ah, yes. Like you focused so much on like data and maybe I should have been listening that day, <laughs> but I don't remember much that you said. Um, what does one have to do to like, it sounds like a, a very cool job or yeah. interesting job. What does one have to do to like get into yeah, those sure. sort of roles? So it's very, right now the data space is quite interesting. Right? Mm. So a lot of the time before, it wasn't formalized. So there's no specific course that you get into. Mm. You could do like your IT, your mm. type IT type of courses, but essentially you have to be a, a, a very numbers orientated person. Mm. So you should, you, you have to have like a passion for looking at like spreadsheets, mm. drawing graphs, and mm. you know, analyzing trends and patterns in the data. But for now, it, it is expanding into a field called data science. Mm. So data science is essentially um, people who study data and make decisions based on it. So mm. some of the aspects are business intelligence. So business intelligence is a basic reporting on data mm. where you pull the data, you draw graphs of it mm. and draw conclusions. Then there's also something called um, robotic process and analytics. So that's where you feed the, 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 the data into like systems that do the interpretation for you, mm-hmm. but also spit out recommendations mm-hmm. on what to do with the data. And then there's obviously a bit more advanced, it's um, robotics and AI. So mm-hmm. essentially that is just um, the interpretation of data and you teach a machine how to interpret the data mm-hmm. and you teach the machine how to react to it and what to do with the data. So that's that's basically the data science space. It's growing quite a lot, and they are become they, they are more formal programs 
starting to develop in university and stuff. But in terms of my background, I just did engineering and that's how I sort of fell into it. Mm. Yeah. So like now that you are in it and you see that there are like formalization and courses that are coming up, does that mean like you have to go like qualify yourself in that regard so, or what? Not, not at the moment, but it is something I could think about. But essentially mm. where I'm at in terms of my career, right? I'm moving more into management spaces. Okay. So there isn't that much of a need to be have a lot of technical knowledge. Mm. Um, as long as I understand the basics and then can manage people who probably have all the skills and knowledge and tools, right? Mm. So mm. I think if I wanted to be a professional data scientist, yes. Okay. But I think now I'm moving more into the management aspect of it. So it's not that big of a need. Okay, okay. Yeah. But I do also just try to keep myself informed informally yeah. and learn as much as I can, you know, on my own. Okay, about like the field and stuff. Yeah. Okay. I'm also starting to do, um, so there's a thing called Google Academy, right? Okay. It's free courses on yeah. the basically the digital ecosystem in terms of like digital marketing, in terms of what they call search engine optimization, yeah. in terms of how to set up a website, how to market a business online, e-commerce, so those types of things. Yeah. yeah so that's something I'm, I'm, I'm doing. They've got a free course that you can do. It takes about, I think, 40 to 50 hours. And you at the end of it, you can get like a Google certification. So that's, that's really and, cool. And that um, certification is like recognized by, let's say, yeah. so, companies. So companies that are in the digital marketing um, space mm. would, would recognize that because Google is like the number one um, tool that people use. So in terms of like um, marketing to people via, I don't know if you've seen like when you do a Google search, yeah. it's like the top three lines are like ads and yeah. they specifically say ads. Yeah. So that is basically Google. Um, there are people who bid for that space and there are people mm. who work within that space to sort of you know, put all of that together as in almost like a normal agency, but just yeah. in a digital space. So mm. it's a very specific skill and it's a very usable skill. And it's a skill that's in need, I guess, at the moment, given that most people, most of the businesses are going online and mm. that type of stuff. I see those things. I see those courses. Like they're always recommended for me on LinkedIn. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. So now that you're saying like they are recommended, because I always feel like, okay, I have to do this thing, then what? Am I yeah. going like, to get recognized for, yeah. for doing no, this? No, 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 Google certification is is recognized. I know I've worked with a few people that have done the Google, Google certification, mm. and they used to run the digital marketing department of a company I used to work for. So, mm. yeah, it is. Yeah, and you say it's what Google Academy. That's, yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Okay, okay, I see. So, uh Rewinding before you like do engineering, um, primary or high school, have you always said I want to go into engineering when I? Um, no, uh, I, I was one of those kids who did not want to, who did not know what they wanted to be when I grew up. Like for me, <laughs> yeah, like when I look at you and people like you, I think you are those people who just grew up focused. If you know what I, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, I'm also like one person like that. You just don't know what you're going to do. Yeah. So here's the thing about me, right? I think in terms of directionally, yeah, I'm not super focused. 
But in okay. terms of what I'm doing now, I, oh. I always try to be focused in what I'm doing now. Yeah. So to be honest with you, I truly don't have like a profession that I want to do. Even now? Yes, I know. Wow. It's okay. weird. <laughs> I hear, but when you, when you mentioned management, I just hear like, okay, yeah. what kind of line do you want to follow? Yeah, but I think generally I want to, as I've you know, discovered the data space a lot more, it's a space I want to get into mm. from a management perspective, definitely. But mm. in terms of like a formal role that I want to have one day, there's no... But the other thing for me is that growing up, this wasn't something that existed, right? Yeah, yeah. So growing up, it was the traditional roles. Yeah, yeah. You know, lawyer, doctor, lawyer, yeah. engineer. So yeah. at the time, I was good at maths and science. Yeah. So I chose engineering. Oh. And yeah, that's where my path kind of led me to. Then once I discovered data science and business intelligence, I was, I was hooked, I guess. Um, before I answer how uh, or ask you how you discovered that, do you know, have you watched Bad Boys, Billionaire, something like that on Netflix? No, I haven't. I've seen the... the I know what, what you're talking about, oh, okay. but I haven't watched yeah, it. Yeah, you need to, you need to watch I'll it so that we can talk about, like, there's some guy in there, and when you say you, you don't feel like you're following a specific field or yeah. path, there's this guy who was once called to come help this guy build a airline. So like you are those type of people. Like, <laughs> I know this guy and I can call him and he'll come and help me. Yeah. He never worked in airlines before, but I know that if he comes and understands it, he will build it. Yeah. I see I see where you're coming from with yeah. that. So how do you come to discover data science and, and whatever? So in 2016, I started working for a company called um, Kwese. Mm. It was um, essentially another similar to DSTV. So it's a TV plat- uh, TV platform, mm. but they had um, a streaming service as well. Mm. So what I would do there, I was a business intelligence analyst. So I would look at the performance of from a digital perspective. So the website, the app. Mm. How are they performing? What traffic are they generating? Where are people watching from? I think the digital space gives you a lot more data that you could use. So, mm. for instance, if you have a TV, so if you're working at DSTV, for instance, yeah. if the box that the person is watching from is not connected to the internet or mm. they do not send that person surveys, mm. they can't really be sure what that person is watching. They can't really oh. be sure what, how long they're watching. And yeah. yeah. But if you're watching something on an app, yeah. that data gets, all of it gets recorded. Yeah. What are you watching? What When did you start? What point did you stop? Yeah. How long have you been watching? Are you using data or Wi-Fi? Where are you? And yeah. so it, it can you can easily develop a profile of a person. You can easily develop what recommendations to make. So yeah. that's how services like Netflix and even Showmax oh. get data. That's how they make recommendations to mm. you. So mm. it's easier to track in the digital space, right? Yeah. But also with that, it gives you a lot of data on the back end. So if you're somebody mm. who's looking at these stats, which is what I was at the time. Mm. So somebody who's looking at this, even from a website perspective, right? There's mm. a, a program called Google Analytics. That oh, yeah, can, about yeah it. it can show you everything that anybody's doing on your app. What pages they clicked, at what time, what stories did they read, how long oh. are they spending on your app. So yeah. this is a lot of data, but to somebody like me, it was yeah. something that I sort of found and it really excited me because I could look at all of this data now and 
you know, help the business make decisions. So, oh, yeah. Okay. What was Kwese doing, actually? Like? So Kwese was a media company. Yeah. And they had um, different types of services. So they had the traditional uh, satellite TV service. Yeah. They had where you pay for a monthly subscription and you watch content. Yeah. They had their own original channels, but they also had um, third-party channels as well. Mm. But they also then had an app which you could also watch content on. Yeah. yeah. And then also we had different um, websites. So yeah. there was a sports website. There was an entertainment website. There was a gamer website, mm. and. I would track the performance of all of those um, and give recommendations on what the guys should do. So if a specific news article news article was doing well, mm. I would sort of say, guys, these are the top 10 news articles this week. Mm. Um, you should think about writing more articles in this direction. So oh. the, the guys who did the creative work sort of knew what direction to go into. Yeah. But I it was, yeah, it was, because it was a media company that had different services in the media space. I remember when I first came across the brand. Yeah. Um, I was trying to watch like some sports. Yeah. I don't know, it was like ESPN or whatever. <laughs> and then I was redirected to Quest. Like I just didn't understand what was going on. And I was like, okay, Sharp, you know what? This is not gonna happen. It's not possible. Let me close it here. Yeah. But that's where my interaction with Quest ended yeah. up. So I just didn't know actually what they did. So my memory is like. With ESPN and Sports Channel yes. and whatever. So, yeah, at the time what happened there was that... Um, so ESPN initially, from back in the day, had a partnership with DSTV. Okay. So I think at some point the partnership ended. Yeah. And they were looking for somebody else to partner with in Africa. Mm. So that's where Kwese came into the picture. And they formed a partnership and redirected basically all of the ESPN traffic in Africa. Mm-hmm. to Kwese ESPN. So that's what okay. would have happened in your case. But okay, the idea was to have a partnership where ESP, Kwese would be the, the ESPN partner in Africa. Um, where, where are they from? With the company? Kwese. Yeah. So Kwese is um, a subsidiary of Econet Media. Mm. So Econet Media is more known, Econet actually is more known as the telco network from Zimbabwe. Mm. You know, yeah, there's a telco network started in Zimbabwe, which expanded into different territories. Mm. So even in South Africa, it has a small presence, mm. but it's more in you know other SADC countries mm. like Lesotho as well, and your Zambia, Zimbabwe. Mm. So the owner at the time wanted to branch out into television as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's where the idea of Kwese came. Mm. So to be essentially like Vodacom starting their own TV service. Okay, yeah. okay, I see. So um, I know someone who like st- um, studied engineering. They didn't finish it, but you can see in their day to day living that they still love like the art or the what you call the fraternity or the whatever. Yeah. They still look at things, analyze them, how this bridge was built, whatever. So. I kept asking them, oh, why didn't you finish? Like, Brad, that's like the hardest thing. Ever. Like, <laughs> engineering is hard. Um, I think uh, she was studying it at Staley's, uh, Stellenbosch. Yeah. So, for you, like, to get out of it, how how much of a challenge was that and how did you conquer it? So, uh, fun fact, mm. when I started doing engineering, I started going bold. At- <laughs> 
at the age of 18. <laughs> so, that's why I so that's, that's how I got out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. essentially yes it's, it's it's a super tough course um yeah. so the one i did is, is chemical so i did chemical engineering at vit mm. and yeah it was it was probably the most one of the most difficult things i've ever done in my life sure yeah and yeah it's you just have to be determined you just have to be resilient mm. and it's one of those life lessons where you realize that everybody's going to fail at something at mm. some point mm. and how you are able to deal with failure determines how successful you will eventually be, right? Nah. I mean, there are people who I went to VITS with. Okay, so I wasn't like an A student in high school, mm. but I got enough marks to get into VITS. But oh, okay. obviously you encounter people who had like seven distinctions, you know, those mm. types of people. Mm. Yeah. And these are people who've never failed anything academically. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you get there, and within the first two weeks, the first test that you write, like half of the class fails. Right. Yeah. So at least half of the class, bro. <laughs> like my first, eco- our first economics test in varsity, all of everyone. <laughs> everyone. Yeah, at least you're all in this together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but essentially, you've never failed anything in your life, and you fail for the first time. Now you have to deal with that. Right? Yeah. A lot of people don't have the ability to then pick themselves up and go from there, right? Mm. I know a guy who got 100% in math and science in high school. And for the first two weeks, I, he was like, we became friends. Mm. And this guy failed a test. And at the time, he, he deregistered immediately because this gives you the option. I don't know if they still do it now, but at yeah. the time, within the first two weeks, you can, if you deregister, you don't owe any fees. So uh, he was like, no, this is not for me. He just jumped ship. Yeah, I also, there's this boy that I know. He also like did the same thing. I think it's also, it's not regarded as a fail. You didn't fail that year. <laughs> so like when you look on your academic history, that year you didn't fail anything. Yeah. So I think that's why the, the other guy um, deregistered as well. So how do you deal with failure then? when at that point because some people just thought uh uh-uh, uh I'd rather not <laughs> fail. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You just have to kind of tell yourself that, you know, this is a part of life yeah. and learn the lesson and see what you could do differently and improve. So yeah. you have to have a, a continuous improvement mindset. Yeah. So even yeah. like for you I'm sure as an entrepreneur, a lot of the people that inspire you have failed dismally at some point yeah, yeah. so you just have to not take it personally you need to know that it's not a reflection of you mm. at the time it could be a reflection of your effort it could be the time uh, a reflection of your experience and knowledge at the time mm. but if you pick up the lesson that you can learn you can grow and become a better person so mm. it also you also have to believe that you have the ability to grow from that yeah. if you believe that um, or if you are trying to, there's a something called like a, a book I read where it talks about a growth mindset. So mm. the people who have a growth mindset and the people who have a fixed mindset. The mm. person who has a fixed mindset wants to, they believe that their intelligence is fixed or has a ceiling and they want to do something perfect the first time. And if they don't do it perfectly the first time, they kind of take it as a reflection of their their maybe in intellect at, at that point in time. Mm. Or you could tell yourself that you have an infinite capacity for growth. And mm. if you make a mistake, it's just a matter of learning what you did wrong 
and understanding what you could do better mm. and taking the lesson and doing that. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I think it has to do with having a growth mindset that mm. it doesn't matter what I do. If I, if I fail at something, it's not a reflection on me. Yeah. I can learn from the opportunity and grow and be better. Yeah. So much so that in some in some cases there was a course I failed in second year, right? Yeah. And it was my first time failing a course for a year, but next year I came back, studied, worked hard, got a distinction in the same course. Wow. I didn't even have to write the final exam. Wow. So it's just one of those things where you so just dope. have to pick yourself up. Wait, if you didn't have to write the final exam, yes, how does that work? So the final exam contributed, I think around 20% of mm. the final year mark. Mm. So essentially, if you got into the, the test with a, with a really low average, mm. you weren't going to pass. And if you got in with a really high average, mm. you weren't, it wasn't going to drop your mark that much. Oh, so okay. the lecturer kind of said, if you have either below, I think it was 30% for the year or mm. above 80% for the year, you mm. don't have to write the test. So because you won't fail or yeah, you won't pass. Yeah. Oh, I see. And then <clears throat> um, conquering engineering, and then not. Did you practice? Like, did you go to yes. the field and practice? Yes. Oh, so, I thought you just like jumped. <laughs> okay. No, no, yeah. no. So after after finishing at Vits, I think around twenty ten. Yeah. I got a job at a factory in Germiston called Johnson Murphy. Mm. I was a, a chemical engineer there. Mm. The issue there was that. Okay, so in engineering, when you finish, you have the opportunity to get a professional license, mm. but you have to work for two years under very specific conditions. Okay. So it has to be a certain environment, you have to have certain mentoring, you have to do certain kinds of projects. Yeah. But the, the company I was working for, they just did, it was just a production line, mm. and it did not meet the criteria. So I wasn't going to become a registered professional engineer. Oh. So I worked there for about 18 months and I got an opportunity to do a leadership development program mm. at a management consulting company called McKinsey. Mm. So I looked at the situation. How does that come about? That sounds interesting. Yeah. So literally <laughs> I was sitting at work mm. and somebody that I, I knew from church who worked in one of the, the consulting companies, but it wasn't McKinsey. But they, they sent me an email mm. with, that was advertising the program. Mm. And I literally just applied for it. And when you got it. <laughs> and I got it. Wow. McKinsey dog. Yeah. yeah. But uh, actually, let me, let me actually tell you about even my first job, how I got it. Yeah. So I believe you the, know, the, the engineering. Engineering one, yeah. I was doing vacation work at VITS. Mm. So you had to do it in order to finish or, or graduate. It was one of the requirements. Mm. So as I was doing it, the lecturer who was helping me, she, I only had to do it for two months. And then the two months was, was coming close to an end. Mm. And she was like, have you started applying for jobs? I was like, no, I haven't. Mm. She's like, you should, you should do it. And you, should, you can use um, the computer here at Beth to do it. Right? Oh, okay. yeah. But just make sure that you get your work done. I was mm. like, yeah, sharp, cool. Mm. Literally, the first job that I applied for... <laughs> You got it. I got it. <laughs> what? So I went to, I went to a job search like I think it was Peanut. I went to Peanut, yeah. searched engineering jobs, came to engineering. <laughs> I saw a job in Jamestown. It was a Tuesday, right? <laughs> and yeah. I even just like fixed up my CV. <laughs> yeah. I sent it through on the Thursday. I got the interview. Yeah. 
I went for the interview. Yeah. On the Friday, yeah. they told me I'd got the job. <laughs> and I started next week. Because this was like towards wow. the end of January. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I've really been blessed in that regard. Yeah, so much. So, so much. Yeah. So then, yeah, on to McKinsey as well. It was a two-year program. So they teach you different types of, different parts of the business, right? Mm. So McKinsey is primarily a, a consulting company. So they work with um, really big clients. So um, we, I, I saw an oath not to talk about some of their clients. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's major, like banks, it's major government departments. Yeah. Some of the biggest companies that you could think of in South Africa. Yeah, right? yeah. I think I've seen that um, documentary about KPMG and, and whatever. Yeah. So you can see to what level do yeah. they deal with, yeah. like what kind of issues they deal with. Yeah. yeah. And essentially what they do there is they help management with the decision making or with certain projects to optimize. It could be in different departments. It could be in HR, finance. Yeah. Operations and their thing is to help any management solve any particular issues or problems they're having mm. in the organization. Mm. Or it could be how do they boost mm. revenue for the next five years. Mm. Like do you know Don Chido? Yeah. Is it Chido or Chido? It's Chido. I mean, he has this show on Yes. I know exactly which show. What what's the name of the show? House of Cards. House of Cards. So you're yes. doing like they do House yes, of Cards. Yes, it's very. Actually, wow, I was watching so cool. House of Cards while I was at McKinsey, and we all laughed at how it kind of represents what we do. And and like the reflection is just is accurate. Not like super of, accurate, yeah. but generally. Yeah, bro, I used to love House of Cards, and I used to what was his name Marty. Yeah. Yeah, I used to want to do what Marty does. <laughs> I still want to. Yeah, I believe it. You can your own consulting company. Yeah. 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 But yeah, essentially that's, I spent two years there mm. and it was crazy because I was working as an engineer from like a factory and yeah. you don't have like corporate skills mm. and now you're walking into an organization that works with like CEOs, right? Sure. Yeah. I remember the first project we had, so they give you like a basic um, intro. And how do you feel at this point, bro? Like you're dealing with... I'm scared out of my mind. Nah. I'm telling you, like the first project I went on, right? Mm. It was at a, one of the big four banks. Mm. And we are putting together a strategy to help them with a lot of the channels at the time, banking channels did not speak to each other. So mm. you had a separate department for branch. We had a separate department for ATM. We had a separate department for mobile mm. banking, separate department for internet banking. Mm. So much. And it was... A lot of the new banking methods were still being introduced. So mm. it was you couldn't um it was still new. So you could you couldn't start an application online and then go to the branch and then continue it. Oh, okay. So that's what we were helping them with. So one of the things I had to do was sort of map their processes, right? To sort of say if a person starts a process or application process, mm. where do they get stuck? Where are areas where we can improve yeah. where specific areas with specific departments need to talk to each other yeah. and what technology can be used to put that together. Yeah. And I put together the slides and now I had to present. So there's the skills that you're applying at your time in McKinsey. Are there some of them from the 
engineering yes, at, that and help, on that, that's helping you? Yes, on that specific project, it was. Mm. But now I don't know how to present to oh. a boardroom in a suite. And that's what you do in that field. Right? Yes. Yeah. I I was scared out of my mind to a point <laughs> where why I I didn't even present because I froze. Right? Yeah. I can imagine. So. so it was, but at least in that kind of project, I had a project manager who I think she saw the situation because mm. how we planned it was that I did I put together all the slides. Then she would do the first section, I would do like the second section. Mm. But I think when it got to my point, she saw that, ah, the young man is freezing there. <laughs> yeah. And I remember that day very clearly. Like, I then went to like sit in my car just to like breathe. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but fast forward six months later, yeah. there was another project we were doing at a mine. Mm. And I had to present like, an operations improvement plan to mm. similar people. So the board, so the CEO, CFO, yeah. COO, and like, you know, executives. Yeah. And I I smashed it out the park, man. So wow. it was again, it was one of those growth moments in my life yeah. where I had to kind of adapt to the situation and you know, yeah, improve. so proud of you, man, because it's like it's it's similar to the first test failing it and yes. the guy giving up and yes. you still applied like the same mindset to the to the McKinsey thing. Exactly. Wow, that's so dope. I didn't know about this McKinsey <laughs> stuff. <laughs> that's why I told you like it was hard to prepare for this uh, yeah. interview. So you are in McKenzie and then the MBA thing, how does it come about? So, okay, just before, so part of the leadership program yeah, mm. was they take people who have sort of leadership potential, but also want to work in a particular field, I guess. Mm. So one of the things, one of the passions I've actually always had that we spoke about earlier today is football, right? Mm. Mm. So I grew up watching, playing and watching football. So I wanted to make a difference in football, right? Mm. Crazy story. <laughs> this one, I have to be prepared yeah. for it. <laughs> so, part of that was like, thinking me thinking to myself, what if I worked in football administration, right? Mm, to suffer. Yeah. Mm. True story. Then, towards the end of my program... But I think I once had like a glimpse yeah. of this, yeah, yeah. Towards the end of the program I was doing at McKinsey, they were saying, okay, dude, what do you want to do? You can either you know, um, stay on as a consultant mm. or you can go into what you want to do. Mm. I was like, let me give it what I want to do oh, a shot. Wow. Literally, I typed up an email and I sent it to... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, bro. <laughs> Where does the courage come from? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I typed up an email, I sent it to the Safa CEO. Yeah, and then you're done. No, at the time it was Robin Peterson. Okay, okay, I know him. So, I literally just said to him, "This is who I am. These are my qualifications, and I would like to come work at Safa. Mm. These are the skills I can offer." And he responded. He was like, "Yeah, sure, let's talk." Mm. So, <clears throat> part of the programmers on at McKinsey allowed you to do I think three months um, mm. like they call it an externship where you can they basically pay a salary but you can work at a different company oh. 
just for you know the experience and stuff. Yeah. So I worked at Safa for three months, and then after that my program ended. Then mm. I got employed at Safa like full time. Wow, dog, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where was these stories? <laughs> yeah. So I worked at Safa. I was managing some of the projects, and. Wow, <laughs> I'm still shocked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I worked for about 18 months. Yeah. But then I wasn't happy with, you know, the way things were going, and the environment is quite is quite tough, mm. and it's quite political. So oh, okay. it's like I put it this way: imagine working at the ANC. Oh, okay, so okay, you're yeah. trying to push to get things done, but there's people who are resistant to change. Mm. People want to do things the way they've always done them, mm. and you kind of. And then there's the politics of the people. Yeah, I don't wanna. Involved. I don't wanna like name names and stuff, but yeah. you know. So there are people who are appointed for other reasons. Not actually. Not not because this person is, is, is competent. Yeah. So. Even when they underperform, they are secure in that nobody's going to get rid of them because they know certain so-and-so or they were appointed by so-and-so. Mm. So it's quite a tough environment. And at the time, I felt as if I could not, you know, make any change there unless if I stayed there for the next 20, 30 years. Mm. To the point where I, <laughs> I also became the CEO. Yeah, and, shot. yeah mm. so I wasn't up for that. But the challenge is that now as well, you don't know where to go after that, right? Mm. So I decided, let me go study. What was it that you were doing at Safa? I was the project manager. So there's Tell me like in detail, <laughs> what were you doing? So there's a, an office called the project management office. Mm. So all the projects that happen in an organization yeah. are run through that department. Mm. So I was like the head of that department. Okay. So... I'd make sure that all the specific departments have um, five to six projects that they're working on. I'd give them like a template on mm. how to structure the project, how to execute it. So I did a little bit of project management oh, in terms okay. of my studies. So yeah. it's yeah, how to execute it, how to structure it, what to measure, how often to measure it, what kind of reporting to do. So and how to put it into like a portfolio of project mm. and how to then yeah track it so every week we'd have a meeting where every head of department would give feedback on the projects they're running how they're progressing mm. and i'd put it all together into like a dashboard that i'd give to the ceo mm. and the ceo would read it and then say okay this one we need to do this this one we need to do that mm. and i'd basically give the feedback and ensure that it gets executed basically mm. i see i see yeah. wow dog so like this just tells the problem that the organization is still having to this point. Yes. Mm. So a lot of the the challenges, as I said, it's there. There are people who are competent. There are people who are very highly skilled. Mm. But in there are also other people who are not right. Yeah. So the overall effectiveness of the organization will be will always be hampered if that's the case. Yeah. I see. There's something in my eyes. Sorry, man. Um, so, can yeah. you tell me about like the transition into Yes, MBA? then the transition, I was like, okay, let me do an MBA. Because at McKinsey, a lot of the time, 
where I saw was that when I was working on projects, mm-hmm. I was limited in terms of what I could do oh. because I didn't have like simple, you know, financial knowledge, for instance. Mm. So if there were financial projects, I couldn't get involved. So how things work there is that you work on a project by project basis. Mm. So if if there's a specific project that so what they do is that every week or whatever mm. they they have like a project list of all the projects that are ongoing. Mm. Then they tell you who's managing that project, mm. and if you are towards the end of the project you're working on, mm. you can then speak to the director and manager on that other specific project, and you can see if you can try and get on that. Yeah. So some mm. projects require generalist skills but other projects require very specific skills mm. so for instance if there's a client that wants to do i don't know a mergers and acquisition mm. project mm. you need to be able to do the due diligence of a company yeah so if you've never studied that you would never know yeah so those are types of projects you can't get on so then i thought to myself actually let me expand my knowledge from mm. my business perspective then i applied to to vets and i started doing the mba it was about a year and a half. I did it full time. Mm. And yeah. Oh, and it was like really, what you call, uh, finance focused, or you were finance focused. It's something that you, you really wanted to achieve because I looked up, uh, because, okay, so this is like my obsession. Yeah, so like <laughs> when, I, when I find out that someone has done an MBA and like they're doing well and whatever, I go online to try and find their, what you call, dissertation or what they yeah. call it. And I've been doing that with so many people there. So, like, let me check out yours. So, it's like, um, because you could have ch- have chosen to, to write about anything, right? Yeah. Or was it chosen for you? No, no, you could choose any topic. You choose for yourself. And, like, yours were, like, like really, really finance-focused. Yeah. So, mine was, um, I was... Accounting, if I can say. Yeah, I was yeah. looking at the annual reports of companies. Mm. And it was more strategy-based, but it had... It didn't, it included finance, mm-hmm. so I looked at how much of how much of their strategy do do companies in the top forty disclose mm. in their annual reporting. Mm. So strategy is made up of multiple aspects. So there's like, what are you going to do from a marketing? What are you going to do from a growth perspective? What are you going to do from a competitive perspective? But also in terms of finances, how much detail do you go into your finances, mm. and what are you planning to do from a finance perspective? Yeah. So that was my dissertation. So I looked, yeah, it was a, I read, I created like a template on how to evaluate mm. a company's strategy. And then I looked at how much of that wow. <laughs> do they disclose the annual reports. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I said, I'm a bit of a geek. <laughs> That's crazy. So like the, the template, where does it yeah. go to after that? Is it yours or do you? No, I think it's, it's the, the, it's the schools. Mm. Yeah. Then they can use it if they want to. Okay. But also, um, the 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 dissertation goes into the library, so anybody who's advocates now who's studying and searches up a similar topic would come mm. across it, and then they can decide whether they build on it. Because when you do a dissertation, the the one of the early parts is a literature review. Mm. So you choose your topic, and you see what kind of literature is out there that's addressing oh, that topic, yeah, so yeah. that you don't a duplicate. Work yeah. that has been going on, yeah. but then it also gives you an ability to sort of sharpen your your topic a lot more, yeah, to yeah. make it more specific and make sure that it it's addressing somebody that something that people generally do 
you need. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see. And then how long does it take you to, like, develop that template? How long did it take you to, like, come up with the whole thing? It was, it was quite long because you, you do your, your research while you... So the MBA, if you do it full-time, is, mm. is coursework and research, right? Mm. So while you're doing the coursework, you start to do research. You start putting together your research proposal. Yeah. But in order to put together a decent research proposal, you kind of have to read a bit on the topic. Yeah. So for me, like halfway through the year, I was I got to a point where I had a, a decent topic and a decent research proposal. Mm-hmm. Then you have to go and present it. So every stage, it's like you get you present your panel, and then they hit you with like tough questions, mm-hmm. and then they help you also like to sharpen your topic. And then you also speak to your supervisor, who's an expert on the topic. Yeah. So they also can guide you in terms of what resources to look at, what information to look at. Mm. That type of work. So you you going to do an MBA with a aim that I can get back to McKinsey, or you just wanted to like equip yourself? I just wanted next? to equip myself. What's next? Oh. And as I was saying to you earlier, mm. I'm one of those people who has never really had like a career path that I wanted to follow. Mm. But I always, as I said, make sure that whatever I'm doing right now, I do to the best of my ability and. Mm. In some cases, it leads to things that I find that I really enjoy. Mm. Then I can go into it. So that's how it was structured. So I wanted to really equip myself. Mm. And I, di- I, I think I did that, right? Mm. So after, my, after doing the MBA, that's when I, I got co- a call from a lady I used to work with at McKinsey. Mm. And she told me that she knows um, of a... CEO who's starting a company and is looking for does an executive associate. Yeah. So basically work with the CEO. Oh, yeah. And immediately after graduating my MBA, I got introduced to him, he interviewed me, and that's how I started working at Quesi. Oh, so this thing was Quesi? Yes. <laughs> okay, this is something before Quesi. Yeah, no, oh. this was Quesi. So that's how I started working at Quesi. And so you started with Quesi from scratch? Yes. When you were starting? Yes. Oh my gosh, I thought like you found it. <laughs> no, it was an oh. office that had like 20 people. Sure, but the, the, the what do you call the offices were big. Yes, they had like huge. big offices in Brunson. Why, why was that? No, no, it started out small. Oh, it started out yes. small. Then we started recruiting people, started oh. putting together departments, and yeah. Yeah, and then what, what happened to Quesi? So I think it was underperforming a bit. Mm. So I think they decided to to liquidate it. Oh. So I think to, uh, towards the end of last year. Yeah. Yeah. Look, taking on DSTV is, is a is a big big challenge. DSTV is DSTV is big. No? DSTV is a monster. DSTV yeah. is a monster. So I think you have to be you know really really strategic about it, mm. and you have to understand that maybe you might not be able to compete in the same way as DSTV. So you mm. might not be able to spend out with them on content, mm. but you could come up with a different strategy where you maybe target a specific content niche. Right? Mm. But if you try to compete with them head on, you'll struggle. Yeah. Because they will, they've been around for a long time and they've yeah. got deep pockets. Oh. So in any content that you want to bid for, they can outbid you. So, for mm. instance, if you look at the English Premier League, yeah, English Premier League is only on DSTV. Yes. So, yes. 
how the contract works is that it's a very exclusive it's an exclusive contract mm. so because dstv wants to have wants to be the only one to have it because a lot mm. of people purchase a subscription because of it yeah, yeah so they're willing to spend a lot more to sign it exclusively that's how mm. generally it's not just specific to dstv but that's how a lot of content is is procured in the tv space because you your people are buying your product or service based on what can they get from you that they can't get anywhere else? Oh, yeah, yeah. So if they can get content from you they they can't get anywhere else, they're more likely to subscribe. Mm. But once they're there, then you can serve them other content that maybe they did not know about. Yeah. That's how they retain customers. Oh, yeah. I remember when I was still in high school, I used to watch like the Premier League on SADC3. What yes. was happening that time? So there's different types of, of rights. Yeah. So there's free-to-air rights and there's pay TV rights. Mm. Pay TV rights is what DSTV has. So mm. they can show you they show you all the matches mm. and all the associated shows that come with it. Mm. But if you have a free-to-air license, you probably get one match a week. Oh. So it's it's just for like public broadcasters to to add onto their their platform. But it's still both of them are still quite expensive. Mm. So the public broadcaster has to decide whether it's worth having it or not. Mm. And I think a lot of the reason why there was like it was on and off mm. on like SABC and stuff. I think it is, you know, it's quite expensive. So if you're not getting the reach in terms of people watching it, then oh, it becomes yeah. it becomes less worth it from a finance perspective. Oh yeah. So the, in that case, the whole exclusive uh, contract thing doesn't prohibit um, SABC three from airing one match. No. Yeah. So time, the free to air contract is not exclusive, but. The pay TV one is mm. exclusive, and in a lot of in a lot of cases, on the free to air ones, you get matches that like nobody. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you'd never get like a Sunday afternoon mm, Manchester United, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you wouldn't get that kind of a match. Oh, okay, okay. So it, it's it's still kind of trying to incentivize people to get a taste of it, but then if they want more matches, more the bigger matches, they have to subscribe. Okay, I see. So when you are at um Kwese and it's it's coming to an end, do you like look at joining DSTV in some way or like what's not, going through your mind that time? Not really. Yeah. I was surprisingly calm. Really? I I don't know. Um Yeah, but you would be because you, you apply <laughs> once and you get <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So okay, obviously as a as a Christian I I've learned that you know you have to have if you if you say you have faith in God you have mm. to kind of really have faith in God. Yeah, yeah. So even like you know there are scriptures that tell you about not being not worrying mm. and you know praying and you know putting it, trusting God. So obviously you do the best you can do. Yeah. You try to deliver, you try to stay positive, but at a certain point you realize that okay I can cry about this or yeah and funny enough it was actually quite tough now that i think back yeah there were people who were getting retrenchment letters mm. they told us you know that the companies they call it a section section 189 where yeah the company basically sort of says look we're not performing and yeah. we need um assistance or and then you know there's a whole you know, legal process that gets followed. There are some people that get retrenched. There's, um, yeah. And even at, even at that point, there were people getting retrenched. People get offered like voluntary packages. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, but I think at the time what I was also doing was critical to the business, I guess, mm. because I'm tracking the performance of the business on a daily basis. Yeah. So I would probably be one of the last people to get oh, retrenched. Yeah. And even yeah. our manager was like telling us, "Look, guys, our department we're not affected. Yeah. But obviously, if you can see, you know, people, Change. you know, like people you started to become friends with, and yes. when they're losing their job, it's 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 not it's not very easy. Mm. And also days when salaries would be delayed. So <sighs> that's when everybody's like, Shoo! It's yeah. tough now. But you just learn to adapt. You you move your debit orders to the end of the month and Yeah. Wow man. <laughs> you just go with them. You sure. just adapt to life. Um I remember because like when you go to Ramberg you'd pass the offices. There was a, there was a time where I just felt like, nah man, there's a floor that's empty here. <laughs> like this company is still here, but I feel like you could see the inside and they're just like chairs with no people. Yeah. And I guess that's the time where the yeah. the hard things yeah. were, 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 were happening. Wow, dude. So like, if you like look back to Kwese, what is the most important thing or lesson that you can say you pulled out of your relationship with the company? I think because, because at Kwese, I was exposed to a lot as mm. I said, I was working in the CEO's office. So mm. I was helping him with like, you know, projects and a lot of stuff that he had to do. I got an understanding of so the MBA was like theoretical stuff. Right? Yeah. This is how you run a company, these are the things you need to pay attention to. Yeah. But when I was working with the CEO, you actually get to see it happen. Mm. Right? So that was the biggest, you know, privilege yeah. I, I, I had was seeing everything that I was taught in the MBA. Nice. What was relevant, what wasn't relevant, yeah. how you actually implement it, yeah. and what's a good way to do it, and also what's you know not a good way to do it. So you learn from the good, and you also see, okay, if I were to do this, I could improve it in this area, that area, this area. Yeah. So there was a lot of that. And just generally, as I was saying earlier, how do you put together a strategy to compete against a monopoly? Right. Yeah. So I realized that you know there there were some of the pitfalls in that. So. Wow. 